Good morning. It is good to be with you. It is good to see all of you here. And it is good for us to be together. As have already been announced, there is a number of opportunities you know, for us to be ministering to one another. As the days and weeks are before us, and so as we live our lives and get busy with our routines, you know, let's be mindful of our spiritual family and the various needs that they may have. Appreciate you know, all that everyone is doing already. You, know, you are to be commended for the work you're all doing in the kingdom. Thank you for that. I want to begin with a question. A little bit of an unusual question, and that is, what kind of family did you grow up in? Think about that for a bit. What kind of family did you grow up in? Was it a farmer's household? Or a mechanic's? Or an engineer's? Maybe it was a businessman, a teacher's. A salesperson, a doctor's. The man Christ Jesus grew up. That is, Jesus grew in stature under the leadership of a father who we are told was a carpenter. That is, Jesus' earthly dad was someone who used his skills to make and build things. His dad was a carpenter, and that's what he grew up in, that kind of household. But Jesus also knew that his true father in heaven, you know, and he knew what his father's business was all about. Jesus knew that. And he knew that that father, his heavenly father, is the maker and builder of all things. As imitators of Jesus Christ, and that's what we are called to be as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, we who have called upon the name of the Lord in an obedient faith and made that allegiance to him, you know, as his disciples and his imitators, we too need to be about our Father's business. We too need to be doing our Lord's will. And one way for us to do that, one way to describe that would be, wrong one there, would be the idea of building, building on what Jesus has built. Like his Father in heaven, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the builder of all things. For example, in Colossians chapter 1, in a context that talks about the preeminence of your Lord, the preeminence of your Savior and your King, it describes him in verse 16 as one who, he says, that all things, all things have been been created by him, through him, and for him. That's talking about Jesus. Like his father, the son created all things, and he created all things by himself, through himself, and for himself. His coming to save the lost, like you and me. 
We were once lost. But Jesus found us. It's coming to save the lost people like us. Included him building something. He came to save and he came to build. He is the builder of all things. And all things are built by him, through him, and for him. And so he built, we are told... If you will turn to Matthew chapter 16, we're going to read that very quickly soon. That he, he, he came to build his church, or another way of saying that he came to construct his assembly of called ones. So you recall the context here in Matthew 16. In verse 13 it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples... He was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, but who do you, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. If you think about it, that is an amazing confession at this point in time in Peter's life. It is a profound statement of faith. Is there a lot of room for Peter to grow? Yes. There's still a lot of growth needed in Peter's life. But at this point, he confessed. In honesty and sincerity, he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is then that Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, how did he do that? How did the Father reveal this truth to Peter? He did it through Emmanuel. That's how he did it. He did it through the one who is God with us, God in flesh. God, the Father, has revealed this to you, Peter. And he goes on to say, and I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And what are you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And so, I want to begin this morning by asking this question. And this is going to be at least a two-part lesson. At, at this point it is. It may be longer, I don't know. But today is just the first part of a study about the Lord's church. So what did, what did... Jesus built. 
What did Jesus build when he built his church? Here in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus made a promise. He says, I will build my church. And Jesus kept that promise. God is faithful. Jesus is faithful. And so Jesus, I will build my church. And he did. The church that belongs to Jesus Christ was established starting from Acts 2 and onward throughout the rest of the New Testament and to this day. To this day, the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that which he built, what Jesus built, not what men built, but what Jesus built is in existence. It is in existence. From Acts 2 onward. And so therefore, even today, it is in existence because of the nature of the Lord's church. Now what's kind of interesting, and you probably have thought this as well, when you think about all of the churches of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that were established in the various cities and locations in the world during that first century and onward. Think about all those churches. The church at Ephesus, the church at Corinth, and you name the list. You know, you have epistles written to some of them, you got others mentioned in Revelation, and then you get all those that are unnamed. You think about all of those different churches that belong to Christ that were established in the first century. All of them are not all still alive and well, are they? Where is the church that the Ephesian letters addressed to? Well, you can go to the ruins of Ephesus, but you're not going to find that congregation that existed in the first century and however long it was there. But what Jesus built, what Jesus established, is very much strongly secure. A body of believers that may be working for the cause of Christ in their community, in their generation, may not last throughout time. Things happen. Things change. But we need to be you know, strongly convinced and acknowledge that, that what Jesus built, he did build, and what he built is very much strongly secured. It will not stop existing because of what the church is and who the church is. What Jesus promised in, Act, in Matthew chapter 16, he says, Really, he promised to build his calling. Now, many of you are good Bible students and know that the word church comes from a Greek word that sounds something like ecclesia. And so what he's promising here, he is promises, I will build my calling. I will build my gathering of called ones. He was not talking about a building of lumber and brick. Stone and mortar. They had a physical house of the Lord that was built, you know, 
and rebuilt in Jerusalem. But that's not what Jesus built. Jesus built something so much greater, something that is going to last forever. He built a calling. He built a gathering of called ones, a gathering of people called together by the one with supreme authority. And who's that? That's Jesus. You recall what did Jesus say in Matthew's account of the Great Commission before he ascends back to his rightful place at the right hand of his Father in heaven? What was one of the things he says there in Matthew 28, verse 18? All authority what? All authority. Now, is there some? No. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so Jesus says, I will build my church. And he is the one who supremely calls us into a relationship with him. But the idea of a calling implies, does it not, that there must be people who hear and people who heed. He said, I will build my calling. And that is so implying he's going to make a call. He's going to call out to to humanity, and he says, and I will build my calling, my gathered ones of called ones, but those people are going to have to be recipients of that. They will have to be people who will hear Jesus and heed Jesus. What do we mean by that? Well, they have to be people who are going to listen to the authority of Jesus Christ. And in turn, because they're listening to the authority of Jesus, they're going to adhere to that authority. What's another way of saying that? Well, basically, they're going to pay attention what Jesus has said, and they're going to do it. They're going to obey it. That's his calling. I'm going to call together my people. What kind of people? They're going to be people who listen to me, listen to the authority of Christ. And they're going to be people who obey me, who obey the authority of Christ. Because it is a spiritual fellowship of God's spiritual family who have been adopted and united through Jesus Christ, the one who has supreme authority. That's what the church is. It's not this building. And the Lord's church has never been a building. Now, this building serves a divine purpose, a spiritual purpose. And we are to be doing the Lord's work in our location but this is not the building. And you can you know, let a tornado tear this thing apart. And oh, oh, it would really upset us. But we have not ceased to be God's people. Because a tornado carries our building off. Jesus has called us. And we have become his calling. Because he called together various called out ones. And he, in a sense, has formed, he has formed his assembly of his disciples. That's what the church is. It's people that he has called and they've answered the call of Jesus. And so he, in a sense, established them. He has assembled them. He has, in a sense, congregated them as these are my disciples. These are those who hear and heed me. But how has he done that? Well, people are called by Christ's gospel. That's how we're called. We're called by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those people respond to the truth and the salvation that 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 gospel reveals. 
And so in 2 Thessalonians 2.14, Paul, writing to a church of our Lord in the city of Thessalonica, reminds them, it was for this he called you. He called the church at Thessalonica. Well, how did he do that? He says, I called you through our gospel. A gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was not by their feelings. Well, they just had a feeling about it. And they answered the Lord's call. No, it wasn't by a feeling. It wasn't by a dream. It wasn't by some experience. No, the Lord's church is called through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how Jesus calls you. He calls you through his gospel And those who have hearts to receive that are going to hear him and they're going to obey him. But also, as we read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9, God calls believers to what? Once again, here's here's a letter written to the church of God, which is at Corinth. It's a different location, but it's the same people. It's the same people that belong to Christ. It It is the same calling. And he says, you have been called, God is faithful through whom you were called into what? Into the fellowship with his son. That's what you've been called into. Into this relationship as a participant, not as a spectator, but as a joint participant with your elder brother. And you are now a brother with him. You are sons with him under the father. You've been called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. And that calling to the Lord's calling means that, well, that there is some responsibility involved. And that is, we have the responsibility to, to meet the Lord's expectations. And here, Paul writes in, in Ephesians to another body of God's people. Another body in a different locality, Ephesus. But they are all of Christ's calling. And Jesus has called those in Ephesus just as he called those in Corinth through the same gospel, and they were called into the same fellowship. But there is some expectations here, are there not? When Paul says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy. So our walk, our life matters. We're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, there it is, with which you have been called to Christ. That calling is described back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 from the standpoint of it is a calling unto sanctification, to a separateness, to a set-apartness that now you belong to God. Now you belong to Jesus Christ. You have been bought. Your freedom costs Jesus his life. You have been bought. You've been purchased. Not with your blood but with somebody else's blood. The son of God's blood is the one who paid the price to free you from the domain of darkness, to free you from the enslavement and the lies and the deception of the adversary of God and mankind. But in so doing, he says, you are sanctified in Christ. It is Christ who takes you and makes you different. And he says, your calling now is different than what the world's calling is. It's my calling. And it is a calling of sanctification. 
And so that suggests there is a certain standard that is a certain measure that is set not by you and not by me. Who decides what sanctification is? Who decides you know, what character, what conduct is, reflect, is a reflection of sanctification in Christ? Who decides what a saint in Christ looks like? It's Christ, that's who. He has set the standard, and he has set the measure, and we have been called to that standard of sanctification. And this calling of sanctification also involves the idea that you have been called unto God's purpose now. In Romans 8, verse 28, Paul writes to the saints and Christians in Rome, and he says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my calling. I will build a gathering of called out souls who have heard me and heed me. And what does that involve? Well, that means we have listened to the gospel and we are still listening to the gospel. And as a result, we are in the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And we are expected to live and walk and talk in a way that's worthy of the calling that we've received. One of sanctification and one that is unto God's purpose and not mine anymore. It is Christ who created all all things by himself, through himself. What was that third one? And for himself. What did Jesus build? He built something profound. Something that, in a sense, that is out of this world. Nothing like what men build or think up. Because this calling, this fellowship of God's people, of Christ's people, adopted sons and daughters into the family of God. It's described in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, as the body, the body of Christ. It is a body of called ones. It is a body of people who have been sanctified by the calling that has come to us through Jesus Christ. And so we are familiar with verse 23 when it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. That's our emphasis today. And that's really the emphasis of chapter 5. Now there's a lot we learn about the relationship of a man and a woman as a husband and wife that we need to implement if we are going to live a sanctified life that we have been called to live. That husbands need to measure up to Christ's standard and wives need to measure up to Christ's standard. But the point of Ephesians 5 is we understand who Christ is and who we are as the church. And the point is here, Christ is the head of the church when he says, he himself being the savior of the body. This called out assembly of disciples 
is a living gathering of souls who are members of a spiritual body, not a physical one. And in a sense, even though we are on earth, the body of Christ is not an earthly one. It is a spiritual body where now we are doing the Lord's work on earth to carry out God's purpose. But ultimately, it is a spiritual body of the gathering of souls who have answered the Lord's call and entered the fellowship of Christ and now living a life of sanctification and purpose as God designed. If you think about that idea here, and that is this church, we see in verse 24, is subject to the head. The church is subject to the head in everything. That's, that's the main point. The wife's subjection to the, uh, to the husband is the secondary point. The primary point and the most important point that we need to learn as Christians, as saints of God in Christ, just like the Ephesians needed to be reminded of this, like the Ephesians, we need to have this engraved on our understanding that we as a called out body of saints, of called out Christians, that Christ is our head and he's our head in everything. In a practical way, what does that mean? The church obeys Jesus. The church does what Jesus says. The church does what Jesus willed. The church does what Jesus has revealed through his messengers. But also we see it, the same church, as he describes the church of which is he is the head and the savior of. You look there in verse 26, you know, what, you know, who composes this body? Who makes up the body of Christ? Well, in verse 26, once again, come to this idea of sanctification, it, it's, it's throughout the scriptures. He says, you know, in verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, set apart the church, you know, you know, for what reason? Having, you know, you know well, for her per, his, his purpose, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. You know, all of those who are members of the Lord's body, who are members of this called out gathering of saved souls, they've been cleansed. You're not in the body if you haven't been cleansed. And to be, in, to be cleansed, he says, it is by the washing of water with the word. But then thirdly, he says, it is also for the purpose. Yes, remember he sanctified her in verse 26. Why? So that he may present her, verse 27, the church in glory, that she would be holy and blameless. There is that, yeah, that idea of sanctification. We have been called unto sanctification. And we have been called according to God's purpose. And ultimately, we are to be individually and congregationally holy. Unto God. Both ways. Both ways. Holy, holy to God. Now this church is also described as the assembly of those who are enrolled in heaven. This is where you know, we jump over to our scripture reading this morning. There in Hebrews chapter 12 where the inspired writer, by the direction of the Holy Spirit, 
you know, as he uh, appeals to the, you know, to the Christians and saints, you know, these Hebrew servants of God and disciples of Christ, and reminding them what they have received, what they have arrived at. He says, you have come to Mount Zion. He said, you need to know the magnitude that is before you when you consider what Christ, who is so superior of the law and everything in that law, he said, you have arrived at Mount Zion. You have arrived at the city of the living God, which is the heavenly one. You even arrived at this myriads of angels. And then he says, verse 23, and to the general assembly, this is the New American Standard wording, the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Not only the church that Jesus built is his body. It is the spiritual essence of, 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 of all these people together that belong to him. And he's the savior of that body. He says that church is also the one that is enrolled in heaven. The church that Jesus built. Not the church that men built. But the church that Jesus built is enrolled in heaven. That's the assembly whose names are written in heaven. So where is your name enrolled? Where is your name written? In Luke chapter chapter 10 verse 20, if you recall, it is after the, the 70 have come back from their mission, they were sent out. You know, to preach the kingdom in the air, repent. The same message that's been preached by Christ all along. They've come back. They're excited because they, are all, they had also been empowered to be able to do some miracles. And they were all excited about that. And they're saying, we can even cast out demons. And Jesus responds to this reaction. And he said, basically, you don't need to be excited about that. You, know, you don't need to be rejoicing in the fact that I empowered you to do that. That's, that's really not you know, the thing that you need to be focused on. He said, what you really need to be rejoicing about, he says, you need to rejoice that your name is written in heaven in the book of life. That's something to get excited about. That's something to stand up and praise God and, and just tell everybody, my name is written in heaven. That's something worth getting excited about. Over in Revelation, Revelation chapter 20, as the book is coming to its conclusion, and it speaks of eternal matters that are before us. You know, in verse 12, it talks about how there's going to be the great white throne scene, and all are are judged before Christ. The great and the small, he says in verse 12. And basically, so basically everybody standing there before the throne, books are open. And one of the books is the book of life. And in verse 15, if anyone's name was not found in, written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Where is your name written? Where is your name written? Hebrews 12 tells us. The general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. There is a direct link between what Jesus built and heaven. 
the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Who built the general assembly and the church of the firstborn? Jesus did. Is the church important? Is it important to Jesus? It, it definitely is. He built it. He bought it. He sanctified it. He called it. You better believe the church that Jesus built is important to Jesus. Because he called those souls. He cleansed those souls. He enrolled those souls in heaven. Is the church important to you, though? How important is the Lord's church to you? We're told back in Ephesians 5, verse 23, we're told how that, you know, he is the Savior of the body. Jesus, the head, is the Savior of the body. The body is composed of people who have been cleansed, washed by water through the word, because the body is composed of saved souls that have been gathered or called together by Jesus Christ. You know, over in Hebrews chapter 5, 8, and 9, we're told that Jesus learned obedience from the things he suffered, and, has be- and having become perfected, he is the author of his eternal salvation to whom? Who is he the originator, the source, the author of salvation to, according to Hebrews 5, verse 9? To those who obey him. To those who received the Lord's calling. They heard him and they heeded him. And when they did that, they became members of something that's eternal. That's spiritual, an assembly, a calling, a body. And these these individuals are described here in, in Hebrews chapter 12 as the firstborn. Those who are rolled to heaven is the church, it is the general assembly, and he says, and they are the firstborn. Well, you know, how did that happen? Well, in Romans 8:29, we're told that you know, you know as Disciples as Christians, each member is to become conformed to the image of the firstborn. There is one who is the preeminent firstborn. That's Jesus Christ. And we are to be conformed to his image. If you're conformed to the firstborn one, the firstborn one, who will you look like? You'll look like the firstborn one, won't you? You'll look like the, like the son of God because that's who you're imitating. Over in John 3, verse 3 and verse 5, remember there Nicodemus, what did, what did he tell Nicodemus? Nicodemus is, was a man of God. You know, Nicodemus is showing faith and interest and in, in, in all of that in regard to Jesus Christ. And, and here Jesus says right to his face, truly, truly, if you are not born again of water and the Spirit, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus had to be born again. It's a spiritual birth. You know, he already done, he, he was, he's been born physically. That's why he's right there standing and talking to Jesus. He said, but no, you didn't need to go through another birth. A birth of water and spirit. He says, unless you do that, you're not part of the kingdom. And then you think about it, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 28, when he says, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and as many as you baptize into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ, and you are all now one. 
of one calling, of one fellowship, of one body. Why is that? Because now you are of the firstborn. When Jesus built the church, he built a profound fellowship and a profound relationship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. And it's a relationship that transforms lives. It's a relationship that changes you. It's a relationship in your sense that saves your soul. That's what it is. He says, I will build my calling, my assembly, my congregate and body of saved souls, and they will be the firstborn who are rolled in heaven. That's what Jesus built. People who are members of the Lord's church are changed people because they have been called into sanctification. They've been called unto God's purpose. You think about that. What profound. And what did he say? Those are all of this great construction that Jesus Christ has implemented. All of those who are part of that, part of that building part of that body, part of that assembly, part of that church that belongs to Christ, he says, death and Hades will not prevail against it. Death and Hades will not overpower it. There's power in that. There's strength in that. There's comfort in that. Because in this world, physically, eventually, death prevails. As long as God allows time continue, it is appointed for every man to experience death. It's a broken world. It is a marred creation, not because of God, but because of mankind. But Jesus, I'm going to build something. Something so profound, something so out of this world is going to be like nothing else that man can do and man can imagine and man can think up. It's going to be my calling, it's going to be my assembly, it's going to be my body. Is going to be my firstborn, and death and Hades will not overpower that. Are you a member of that church? Are you a member of that body? And I'm not asking you, are you a member of the congregation here that meets at Northfield Boulevard, Church of Christ, at 2091 Pitts Lane. That's not what I'm asking. Are you a member of the called out assembly of saved souls? Are you? Have you heard and heeded the call of Jesus Christ? If you've heard and you've not heeded, if you heard but not obeyed, you're not a member of 
the Lord's church, what he built. That very secure fellowship and relationship that is intricately linked to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You're not a member of that yet. And if you're not a member of that relationship, you're not, you've not clothed yourself and put on Christ, and that you're not being transformed by conforming to the image of the Son, if that's not where you are spiritually right now, then your name, your name is not enrolled in heaven. Our plea to you this morning, if your name is not enrolled in heaven because you are not a member, an active participant of the calling of Jesus Christ, because you believe in him and you're obeying him, our plea to you is to make that decision today. Won't you come? Always stand and sing.